0: And we're in the book of Acts. So Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agapas, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his abilities to send relief to the brothers living in Judea and they and they did so sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul this is the word of the Lord
1: All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, It is good to see all you today. Um, Happy New Year, if I haven't said that to you um, already. But uh, if you're new, if this is your first time here, I want to welcome you to our church. I'm so glad you're worshiping with us today. Uh, The New Year is a great time to look for a new church. We hope that um, not that you just enjoy, you know, The people and stuff like that, but really you encounter God, right? That's what we're trying to do here. We are in the presence of God. We are seeking to meet the creator and savior. And so as you can tell, we're going through the book of Acts. Um, We're going to be going through it. It's going to take us to Easter and a little bit afterwards, but um, so far, what we've seen here in Acts is we see this journey of the early church. That's what we see. And it's, it's kind of a mirror, I think, especially for me and us as a church because it's the, it's the birth and the journey of our early church. And we can see sort of the template in how to fulfill God's mission um, to worship Him and to make disciples. Because Jesus' last words, well, one of His last words before He ascended to heaven Uh, in the gospel of Matthew, was this. He told his disciples, right, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching everyone to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so, It's not a surprise that when we read the book of Acts, this is what we keep seeing. And it's not a surprise that in our church and in in your life, this is what God is continually trying to accomplish. He is trying to make disciples. He is trying to make you a disciple. He is trying to use you to make disciples. Jesus in every lifetime, in every generation, in every family, in every marriage, still has all authority. It hasn't changed. He's still making disciples. He's still teaching through his church. He's still with his church. He's still with you till the end of the age. And this is a reminder, friends, and an encouragement for us today that God does have all authority because sometimes it doesn't seem like he does. God does have all authority when we're trying to seek authority in our families, in the workplaces, in our relationships. And today we're going to take a look At the birth of a specific church, the Antioch Church. We're going to see how God builds this church. We're going to see four things. And the four things we're going to see um, are, one, God works through his word. Two, God works through his people. Three, God works through encouragement. And lastly, God works through grace. So that's the outline of our sermon today. Um, But let's take a look at the first point, how God works through his word. Our text, if you, if you take a look at verse 19, it begins by referencing Stephen's uh, persecution and death. We remember that in Acts chapter 8. And because Stephen was uh, martyred as a Christian, the Christians are scared, and they, so they flee Jerusalem. And the text tells us that they flee far up to the island of Cyprus, which is right below Turkey, and all the way up to Antioch, which is in Syria. But our text tells us that um, they're still only sharing the gospel with Jews. That's what our text tells us. But then verse 20 tells us that there are some brothers from Cyprus and Cyrene and Cyrene is in Libya. It's in northern Africa. Uh, They come to Antioch, and they are preaching Jesus to the Greeks. And the hand of the Lord is with them. A great number believe and turn to Jesus. And then for the first time, The church in Antioch are called Christians. So let me just highlight two things here, what we see here. You know, these days, um, there are all kinds of things that Christians and churches are known for, right? But the New Testament tells us that the early Christians, at least the ones in Antioch, were known for what? Preaching Jesus as Lord. This was so prominent, uh, this was so pervasive in everything that they did from the outside looking in. Their, their uh, employees, their friends, this is how they were described. The early Christians were so convicted and committed to Jesus and his lordship over their lives... That God was with them, God was working in their midst, and people started calling them Christians. They're like, who are they? I don't know. You know, they're not just Jews, they're not just Greeks, they're not just Romans, they're not just Turks, they're not just Africans. They're Christians, they're Christ followers. That's the one thing they had in common. Uh, some of you may have read uh, this book, um, Good to Great. It's by Jim Collins, um, it's, a, it's an oldie but a goodie. And he describes that in every great organization, there is this hedgehog concept, hedgehog concept, not Sonic the Hedgehog, but uh, let me just read a brief explanation from his book. He says, every day, the fox will try all sorts of things to find a way to pounce on the hedgehog. It will run, it will lunge, it will leap, but the hedgehog knows its trump card Rolling up into a perfect little ball, the hedgehog becomes a sphere of sharp spikes pointing outward in all directions. Collins says that this short story, The Fox and the Hedgehog, is based upon an ancient Greek parable. And that parable is this. The fox knows many things, but the hedgehog knows one big thing. And so in business, he writes, the hedgehog concept is the core strength, the core passion. It's what they believe in. It's what they do well. It's, it's what everything in the business is founded upon and derives from. right? It's core values, core strength. I think that we can use this ancient Greek parable to the Christian life though. And I, I think it's any wise parable, any wisdom I think comes from the word of God. And I think that sometimes in life, it's tempting for you and me to live like the fox, right? Even as Christians, we're trying all sorts of things in our life to reach contentment. Uh, to live what we might think or what might others might say is a successful life, a worthy life. We look for it in the workplace, we we look for it in our bank account, we look for it in our possessions, we look for it in our social circle, we look for it in our spouse, we look for it in our kids. We're trying all sorts of things, like the fox, we are running, we are lunging, we are leaping. But nothing ever fulfills this ravenous desire for contentment, does it? We can also bring this fox mentality to the church. There are many things a church can do. But we see here that in the early church, the hand of the Lord, the power and presence of God was with them because they were doing what? Verse 20 tells us they were preaching Jesus as Lord. The Greek word used here is uh, euangelizo, which means to bring good news. And in the ancient Greco-Roman world, this word, used, uh, this word was used to describe military victories over their enemies. And so Luke is taking this word and he is using it in Acts to describe Jesus' cosmic victory over sin and death. It's where we get the word evangelism. So what are they doing? They're evangelizing. They're sharing the good, victorious news of Jesus over sin and death to those around them. And so God's hand is in their lives. It's in their family. It's in their marriages. It's in their work. It's, it's in their church. God is working in them. God is working through them. It is so clear, it is so public, it is so obvious, it is so overwhelmingly true that people cannot describe them other than objectively just saying they are Christ followers. That's what they do. They follow Jesus. So what we see in the early church, friends, is is not the fox, but the hedgehog, which is the person Jesus who he is what he came to do what he's doing now what he will ultimately do when he returns this hedgehog concept of Jesus is how we're discipled it's how God's hand is with us it's how people come to believe it's how God works and i think here in verse 20 this i love this descriptor because it says they were preaching Jesus as what as lord as lord Significant. You know, we call Jesus Lord and we we, we we say it so nonchalantly. It's it's like Christian jargon. Oh Lord Jesus. It's like, no, what that means is that He is your master. He He is your God. He's your judge. We see here that the Antioch church was not content with just teaching that Jesus was Savior, but also Lord. I think this is really important for all of us because I think many of us, we like this concept that Jesus is Savior, right? He forgives us. He heals us. He comforts us. He gives us spiritual life now and eternal life later. But friends, if you're honest with yourself, do you delight in him as Lord? Do you give to him as Lord? Do you obey, serve, serve, Do you forgive others because that's what your Lord demands of you? Do you commit to him as Lord? Do you persevere with him as Lord? Do you hope in him as Lord? Because what we're learning today is you can't have Jesus as Savior without having him as Lord, right? That's a friends with benefits kind of relationship with God. The summons to salvation is not just a summons to follow Jesus as Savior. It is also a summons to follow Jesus as Lord, if not, you're cutting your legs out from under you, right? You'll be, you'll be pursuing Jesus, but you won't have the presence, the power, the hand of the Lord upon you. You can't, you can't have, Jesus is not like a, a, a pizza, right? Like you just like, I don't want the anchovies. I don't want the onions. I just want cheese and pepperoni, God. No, God's like, no, no, that's not how it works. If you want my power, you want my love, you want my grace, you want my strength, you got to have it all, right? And so I think for for us, and I, I was just convicted of this because, you know, as a pastor, sometimes, even me, just being human, I need to keep striving, right, to have Jesus as Lord. I need to keep repenting. We've got to keep seeking prayer. We've got to keep pursuing and talking with God, to keep worshiping, to keep seeking spiritual community, to keep trusting in God as Lord, as Lord. Friends, you and I, we have to over and over again continually surrender to Jesus, surrender to Jesus, our hearts, our thoughts, our minds, our wills as Lord. So that's the first thing we see here. We see here that God works through his word, which is through the preaching of Jesus, not just as Savior, but also as Lord. And the second thing we see here is that God works through his people. You know, uh, last week I talked about how God is sort of moving away from dreams and visions, and he's now moving towards using sort of everyone, right, to communicate his word. He's using people. You see, in the beginning um, of when uh, we see the earliest Christians here in Acts, uh, we see that only the Jews were worshiping Jesus. Jesus. The Greeks were worshiping the Greek gods. The Romans were worshiping the Roman gods. And, you know, this is, this is understandable because every community in the world is sort of a function and result of the culture, the, the customs and uh, upbringing and background that, that they are brought up in. But we see, as I read in the Gospel of Matthew and the Great Commission, that it was never meant to stay like this, right? And in, in the Antioch church, we see this spiritual union deeper than, than that. And why? Isn't it interesting? It's not Peter. It's not James. It's not John. It's not Philip. It's, in our text, it says, some men. (laughs) Some men from Cyprus and Cyrene, uh, they're preaching to the Greeks now, Jesus. Some men. No vision, no dreams, just a couple of ordinary guys with conviction and obedience. Just some dudes. And who's preaching this Sunday? I don't know, some, some guy. That doesn't sound very interesting. Well, he's going to talk about Jesus. So it's going to be important. I think, I think we live in a culture where we, uh, we value sort of this, you know, maverick, you know, superstar, MVP sort of, uh, you know, personality. But we, we see here that God, he doesn't work through that. How does God work? He works through anonymity. Right? And what this shows us is that the content of the message is always more powerful than the messenger. And, and I think this ought to do two things. On the one hand, it ought to humble us because I think um, as Christians or even the leaders, if you're a leader in our church, uh, sometimes we can put so much weight and pressure on our own abilities. So this ought to humble us, right? On the other hand, I think that this ought to give us courage because some of us are so afraid of talking about Jesus. You know, we've seen how declaring absolute truth and that truth being Jesus got the early church persecuted and it can get us persecuted today. But this text humbles us and gives us courage at the same time because one, it is not up to the messenger. It is up to the message. It's up, it's, if you can stick with the message, you're fine. You're solid. God's hand is going to be upon you. Right? Don't shy away from the teaching. God's hand is going to work in your midst. Just trust. At the same time, right, it encourages us because Jesus says, you know, when you, when you share my word, it's not going to return empty. Right? He says in, in the gospel of John, my sheep hear my voice. when I was uh, studying seminary to become a pastor, uh, we would have a chapel every day. So we show up for the morning devotion that one of our professors would give. And uh, I remember very, very clearly, um, I don't remember many, but one of the ones I do remember is that one of the professors was preaching on John the Baptist. And... As he was sharing John the Baptist and his boldness and courage and his devotion and his fearlessness and his sacrifice and his humility and his simplicity, you know, we're all nodding. We're like, yes, we've given it all. We want to be like John the Baptist. That's what we're talking about. And then he said, like John the Baptist, you should all preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. And that's when we're like, "Mm, what? Like, how soon are we talking about this? (laughs) Like, Forgotten? Like, someone should remember us, Right? Think about this. John the Baptist was one of the greatest prophets that ever lived. Jesus said, There is no one born who is greater than John the Baptist. But we don't talk about John the Baptist every Sunday, right? John the Baptist, in his ministry, he said, He must increase and I must decrease. That's what he said. I think this is getting at this desire in all humans and even Christians, uh, this envy, this jealousy to, to, to receive attention, to receive glory when it really only Jesus should be receiving it. And what we're learning here today You see, God is trying to constantly, man, he even gave Peter a vision. He's like, yo, go see Cornelius, go do this. He's constantly prodding and probing, trying to push his church to go fulfill his his mission and make disciples of all nations, and he couldn't do it. So God just says, you know, I'm just going to use some anonymous men. I think there's something about sincere humility and sincere meekness that just unleashes the power and glory of God it's like a clear microphone that's no longer being obstructed by selfish ambition. And so because of this, this meekness, this humility of these anonymous men that we will never know of, the church is changed forever. For the first time, right, there is this organizational movement to reach the Greeks. People are experiencing a God that is so profound. They're now breaking bread with each other. They're worshiping together. They're sharpening one another. They're all different, but they're united. They're not a family. No, they're not related, but they are becoming a family. And it just comes back to this hedgehog principle, right? You talk about Jesus, about all he is, then what you have is the hand of the Lord upon you and working in your midst. And so the, for the first time, they had to come up with a name with this group, right? Because they weren't just Jews. They weren't just Greeks. They weren't just Romans. They called them Christians. This brings us to the third thing we see in our passage. Now, when, when this extraordinary movement is happening in Antioch, the word, it reaches back to Jerusalem, right? They're like, hey, Greeks are being saved. Greeks are following Jesus, and so they sent Barnabas. And Barnabas has to go, go check this out. Verse 23 says that Barnabas sees the grace of God at work in Antioch and it said that he was glad. Right? Barnabas recognized in the Antioch church this hedgehog concept. He, he saw this and like any spiritual leader, whenever you see right, uh, people doing the will of Jesus, it makes you happy. <laughs> You're like, That's what I'm talking about. You got it. Right? They're preaching, they're teaching, they're sharing about Jesus. And then verse 23 says that Barnabas exhorted them. It's, it's, you know, in other words, he encouraged them to continue to do that. Keep it up. Right? Be steadfast with this purpose. As you do this, you are being faithful to the Lord. And then it says this, which is interesting. It says, because he was a good man. That's interesting. What does Barnabas having a good man have to do with anything with him, encouraging them to keep this up? Well, Barnabas is one of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And he's really the only one that's actually going outside of Jerusalem to further God's mission. After Paul and Peter, Barnabas is the most mentioned person in the book of Acts. And he's the, he's the only person in the book of Acts that is described as a good person. Why is that? Well, I think we've seen how God is just constantly trying to get this early church out of their comfort zone, right? He's like, look, people need to be saved, people need to know Jesus, people are lost, they need to be found. But the people in Antioch are the only ones doing this. So Barnabas travels 192 miles from Jerusalem to Antioch to see what's going on. By foot, that would have taken two weeks and a significant amount of resources Barnabas shows up, it says he's glad. The ministry at Antioch emotionally moves Barnabas because this is what Jesus can do. He's encouraged by it, he encourages them to continue it and if you know Barnabas, what his name means, it literally means son of encouragement. This means that Barnabas has the gift of encouragement. And if you remember from Acts chapter four, Barnabas is the one who sold a property that belonged to him and brought the proceeds to the church. So Barnabas was also a generous man. That was one of the ways he encouraged people. But today we see that his generosity doesn't just include his wealth, but it also includes his hope, his faith, his encouragement. What do I mean by that? Well, friends, as you and I learn how to give, it transforms us. As we learn how to give wealth, we learn how to give all. And what that means is we don't just learn how to give wealth, we learn how to give grace, right? We learn how to give forgiveness, and we learn how to give encouragement and hope in the face of discouragement, in the face of cynicism. Because generosity is a spiritual fruit, it's a matter of heart that connects to all other things. And so Barnabas is not just generous with his wealth, he is generous with his encouragement. He doesn't get discouraged easily. He has a generous hope. And it's not because he hasn't experienced letdown in his life. He lives in the same world we do, but God has given him a gift. And so Barnabas tells the Antioch church, he encourages them. He says, keep it up. Keep doing this. You're doing the right thing. It's going to be hard. It's not easy, but keep it up. And he doesn't stop there. Barnabas decides to put feet to his words of encouragement. What does he do? He goes, I know someone who could help us with this. His name is Saul. Let me go get him. He's th- 374 miles away. It's all good. I'll be right back. <laughs> That's what I'm like. Can you believe that? He's traveling 192 miles from foot uh, by foot from Jerusalem to Antioch, and then he goes farther north, 374 miles to Tarsus, which is in Turkey, to go find Saul, and then he has to come back 374 miles back to Antioch. This would have taken Barnabas two months to complete. And then Barnabas and Saul, they, they stayed in Antioch and they taught a great many people, as it says, for a whole year. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful testimony here. Barnabas' entire life, his, his, his economy of time, energy, and values and priorities revolved around this one hedgehog concept. Right? The love and the grace and the beauty and the power of Christ had penetrated Barnabas' heart so much that it was so much more beautiful, so much more worthy, so much more value than what he had, what he has what accomplished in his life, because Barnabas was a successful man. The power of Christ had penetrated Barnabas' heart so much that that what some might have said, that seems impossible, Barnabas. You're gonna go look for Tarsus, how are you gonna find him? Barnabas, was like just relax. <laughs> just pray for me, all right? Like, <laughs> calm down, right? Barnabas, two months, what are we gonna do without you? You're gonna be fine. I'll be back. What people thought was, ah, this possible Barnabas made it probable. Nothing was unsurmountable for Barnabas with God. And the rest of the book of Acts is what, friends? It's about how God uses Paul. Because Barnabas went and got him. No one wanted to go get him, though. That's pretty far. Yeah, he could help us out. But Barnabas is like, I'm going to go get this done. There are those of you at our church who have the gift of encouragement. You have tremendous hope when, when people are down. You're the one sending people text messages and telling them, I'm praying for you. Let me know if you need any help. Let me know if I can connect you to anyone. How are you doing? I didn't see you last Sunday. Were you there? How, is everything okay? You are a gift. That's from God. You have blessed me and you have blessed so many others. And the reality is this. Your ministry, if you are a Barnabas, your ministry is that you are loving first, right? You are encouraging first. You are hoping first so that others can be then lifted up and blessed by your leadership. That's really your calling. It's a good calling. It's a rewarding calling. It's a obedient and fruitful calling. It was Barnabas' calling. That's what Barnabas did. Sometimes it's not easy, Right? but it's necessary. We see here how vital it is to the church. And I just want to recognize those of you who lead in that way, you know? Because it's easy for people to be like, you're just naive. You're just speaking Christian mumbo jumbo, right? And, and I want to encourage all of us here today, you know, if, if there has been a Barnabas in your life, to encourage them, to encourage them to remain steadfast with that purpose. Because in doing that, they are remaining faithful to the Lord. And they will be able to understand that love language. This brings us to the last thing we see here in our text, God works through grace. Lastly, in verse 29, we see how the Christians in Antioch decided to send relief to the Christians in Judea. Now remember, no one in Judea wanted to share the gospel with them, right? It was men from Cyprus and Cyrene. But when the Antioch Christians heard that their brothers and sisters were in need, they helped them nevertheless. How is that possible? Well, if we were to dig deep a little bit more into this hedgehog concept of Christianity, that principle is that though you and I, friends, are enemies of God, God sent us relief. More than that, God was our relief himself. And he did it at the very sacrifice of his own life. I'm sure the Antioch church gave out of their abundance, but Jesus gave out of his very own life. If you look at Jesus, actually, he's, everything that's happening in our text happened through Jesus. When Jesus was alive in his ministry, he had one singular hedgehog purpose. Every time he stopped and he shared the good news with the town, they would always want him to stay with them. And then Jesus would say to them, I, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to other towns as well, for I was sent to the, for this purpose. People would eat and they would take Jesus, tell Jesus, hey Jesus, you have to eat. And Jesus would say, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. People would rest, people would relax, People would sleep, and Jesus would say to them, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to stay. Jesus was singularly committed to sharing the good news that He is Savior and Lord. Second, even though Jesus was God in the flesh, most everyone thought Jesus was an anonymous nobody, right? From Nazareth, Carpenter's son, what has Jesus accomplished? And Jesus kept asking his, or Jesus' disciples kept asking Jesus, hey, when are we going to take power? Right? Because they thought he was going to overthrow uh, King Herod and be the new political king of Israel. And then Jesus would tell them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I can drink? Jesus came not to be honored, though he should have been honored. Instead, he came on a donkey. He was born in a manger. He lived on the margins. Isaiah says he had no majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Unlike Barnabas, Jesus Jesus doesn't just travel 374 miles to encourage us. He traverses the expanse from heaven to earth. He doesn't just give up some of his wealth, Jesus gives up everything his entire life Jesus wasn't just a good man, he was good in the flesh he's not the king who believes in the impossible Jesus is the king who accomplished the impossible God himself came down from the throne and he gave up his very own life for you and me friends um, you know, as we look forward to this new year I want us to remember this the fox knows many things but the hedgehog knows one big thing and that is Jesus Christ he who is perfectly holy and righteous perfectly glorious and compassionate went to the cross and died for your sins that is what the Antioch church was all about and it is my prayer that that is what you will be all about this year it is my prayer that this is what Risen will be about every year there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord and when Barnabas came and saw the grace of God he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose let's pray Heavenly Father we come before you and we are all searching and seeking something Maybe for some of us, we are searching and seeking you because we are going through a tremendous difficult time in our lives. Maybe it's with our career. Maybe it's with our work. Maybe it's in our families. Maybe there is conflict. Maybe there is struggle. Maybe we got everything we want, but still deep inside, there is this deep sadness, this deep depression, this deep discontentment and all of us here father you providentially draw us here out of depth out of the depth of our own individual and personal pain and as you bring us all here there is one singular thing you want to communicate to us and that is this You are God. You have created us. You have redeemed us. You have died for our sins. You have procured eternal life for us. And the pain that we're experiencing now is temporary. And one day it will pass away. But in the midst of it, you are working about your redeeming purposes and love and life to turn us, to transform us, to sanctify us into the image of your beloved son to make us your disciples who trust in you, who follow you to remain steadfast to that one singular purpose. And I pray that as we commit ourselves to this, that your hand would be upon us That there would be those who turn to you and believe. That your spirit would fall upon us and encourage us and bring about in our midst encouragers like Barnabas, anonymous folk that want to proclaim your word and don't want any recognition or attention for it. This is so hard. Because everything in the world tells us that it is up to us to strive and to seek and to pursue and to accomplish glory for ourselves but all of that is vanity all of that is chasing a wind all of that leads to still discontentment, pain and eventual death you are the only one that has accomplished victory euangelion cosmic Deliverance over sin and death. So I thank you that you have brought us here out of the busyness and the the maybe the distractions of our week here for one singular purpose. And that this singular purpose would unite us. It would transform us so that when people look at our lives. When people look at our church, they would say, hey, what what are they about? How is that person? What do you think about that person? They would say, oh, that person's a Christian. What's that mean? They love Jesus. That's what they're about. So Father, we come before you and we repent and throw ourselves upon you for your divine forgiveness. And we know that you are so delighted, so eager to give it. Help us to receive it by the power of your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.